It's the tip of the spear in the epic battle to defend the United States of America. The National Security Hour exposes the wolves in sheep's clothing and their nefarious plots to undermine and destroy U.S. national security. Welcome, everyone. This is Colonel Retired John Mills, Colonel Rhett John on the National Security Hour on America Out Loud. And we just have an absolutely fantastic show for you. Um, it's it's really about maritime affairs. And, uh, you know, although I'm retired Army, this has always been an interest and a passion of mine. And uh, so what does an Army colonel know about these matters? Well, I, I just have, over my career, I've had to learn about them. And real quick, uh, originally in 1983, I was supposed to head to the Merchant Marine Academy, Academy a last moment medical issue. Uh, prevented me from actually showing up, but uh, the Army took me and the rest is history. So there, that's my qualification to talk maritime matters. And uh, But I got, um, so John Conrad, um, and uh, and John r- writes the G-Captain uh, uh, newsletter, but it's it's more than that. And I want to introduce uh, John, and he's, we're going to talk about maritime, this is a maritime-focused show, and, our, and it's about education on this. So John, welcome, and and thank you so much. Tell everybody a little bit about yourself, please. Thank you for inviting me, John. Well, I'm a uh, a captain, uh, which and the Merchant Marine, which means I have a Master Unlimited license. Um, the uh, Coast Guard licenses us Merchant Mariners, and uh, they they license us by tonnage, and um, you can get a. 100 ton for local stuff and then uh, 1600 ton to work ferries and uh, unlimited means i can um be the master of ships of any size upon oceans so i worked my way up i I graduated uh new york maritime college in uh, new york city and then worked my way up first on tankers and then drill ships up to captain and i noticed there wasn't a lot of um news out there at that point this was 15 years ago um you you pretty much had to get a subscription from someone like lloyd's list and these subscriptions were expensive uh usually over a thousand dollars a year so i said hey you know we we want to bring the news to uh ship captains and other people interested in maritime transportation and that uh for free and that's that was the idea behind g captain Wow, it's it's absolutely awesome, and I, I read that, and will uh, Sal will will be on in the next segment, and he does a wonderful you know, YouTube uh, presentation also. But I, I I wanted everybody to I wanted to and do he, this, and he writes for G Captain. He oh. he started his uh his uh road to fame uh on the pages of G Captain. So if, <laughs> if if you want to be famous like Sal, we we welcome contributions, submissions to G Captain. Please oh, very- please send them in. Oh, very good, very good. Um, well, this this is this is this is awesome. <laughs> the uh, and and I think this is a huge part of America that has been forgotten and needs to be refound because a country and a nation—it's not a nation if you you don't have borders, if you don't make things, if you don't make things that make things, if you don't grow your own food, if you don't have your own energy, and if you don't have the ability to transport it 
And I think that is so we've we've learned a number of things since 2020. And I think this is where a strong merchant marine, most most Americans don't, don't even know what we're talking about. And it's like it just happens. Things just move. I have no idea. It just moves. So so John, what 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 is the the maritime industry and and in, in the year 2023? And and what is the current state of the industry? Sure. Well, coming out of World War II, the United States had the largest merchant marine in the entire world. Uh, the merchant marine is the guys who go on the the large ships and and transport goods uh, around the world. Um, we also are blessed in this country with the greatest uh, river and waterway system in the entire world, natural harbors, Mississippi River, but also the intercoastal waterway. You can you can get around this country pretty well without uh, going out to open ocean. Why is this important? Well, we've trend we've gone to a truck culture but um you know one ship can can or even a mississippi barge can carry uh 20 or 40 tractor trailers at a time and with a with a smaller crew and using one tenth the fuel so as we built up these roads and and um highways you know a lot of that has been government subsidies we've subsidized a lower cost transportation but putting cars and cargo trucks on the same highway leads to congestion as you know if you mm -hmm. live anywhere near a major um, city and you know that extra weight on the trucks really uh, is responsible for breaking up or causing stress on a lot of our infrastructure we, we didn't used to do that we built the Erie Canal and we had these waterway systems and we still do the Mississippi is very active but more for agricultural goods and um, bulk goods fuel and cement so uh, and on the large ship side we went from number one in the world to now I believe we're 22nd in the world and uh, China went from um, somewhere in the 20s now to uh, number two in the world in terms of their merchant marine so we we outsourced our merchant marine to other countries uh, we uh, because we haven't subsidized it, we haven't focused on it. Um, our ship, our goods come in on ships that are flagged um, and owned by other countries. Um, this this has been good for the American consumer um, in terms of lower prices. Uh, businesses wanted to increase competition. The more different countries that are involved, and in, uh, many of these countries. But heavy subsidies, especially China, heavy subsidies into their shipbuilding and their merchant marines. And that flood of tonnage that's come on the market over the last 20, 30 years has really lowered freight rates. It's also made uh, things work very well. The manufacturing and um, industry has gone to just in time where they don't have the stock of goods in the warehouse anymore. They had precisely timed ships uh, and a lot of competition vying for these to bring it in uh, just in time. And you didn't have to build big warehouses. You could order it just before the consumer purchased it. And that, that worked well um, for decades. But the problem now is China's becoming aggressive. China's really taken a stranglehold over uh, the shipbuilding and this merchant marine. 
They're giving military training to their merchant mariners, which questions, mm-hmm. you know, are they going to keep um, the seas peaceful if these mariners have military training? And, um, you know, these other geopolitical hotspots, you know, the advantage of having an American ship is that the Navy is required to come to your rescue if if you encounter a minefield or, you know, we learned that with Captain Phillips, the Tom Hanks movie. Um, there were a lot of ships pirated, but the Navy SEALs only responded to the Maersk, Alabama because that was U.S. flagged. Mm-hmm. So that was the real advantage to being American flagged in the past. Uh, but because the seas have been so peaceful and the Navy's done such a good job, that benefit went, went away. And, and American mariners, you know, cost more and there are more regulations here. Um, but now with the geopolitical crises, um, I mean, Israel's right next to Suez Canal. You have the Black Sea. Um, and what it's the, the security incidents are making us question, hey, was it a good idea to give away our merchant marine? See, China has thousands of merchant ships now. We only mm-hmm. have uh, 85 uh, in international service. Um, so, um, and then if if a war breaks out, if the balloon goes up, if we try to resupply Taiwan, uh, we not only do not have the ships, um, we don't have the mariners to man ships. You know, in some mm-hmm. past wars, mm-hmm. we've arrested foreign ships. Well, we don't have the mariners anymore to do that. And we don't have control over the ports anymore. Uh, China has purchased um, over 100 ports around the world. And in, in, in they America make a lot also. of software for the cranes and, and so forth. So, In, in America also, have they, have they purchased ports or is that just outside of the United States? They have, they have run some terminals, not full ports here, but they have mm-hmm. run some terminals and then they run a lot of the logistics software that we use here. Yes, and uh, they're the only manufacturer of cranes. So that there's yeah. been a, a, yeah, a lot of reports out saying, hey, uh, China manufactured these cranes. What's in the software of these cranes? Can they be you know remotely controlled? Are they monitoring? Um, yeah. But you know the US Maritime Administration is at the DOT, uh, Department of Transportation. Um, the FAA, for example, Federal Aviation Administration, has over 40,000 employees. The uh, Maritime Administration, MARAD, is down to uh, 800 employees and only 300 are working on policy. So we don't have a good idea of ownership. We don't yeah. know who owns these ports and equipment because the maritime administration used to be a lot bigger and stronger and mm-hmm. they published uh really thorough reports on on foreign ownership and u.s ownership in the past but uh they have it they've been dropping the ball lately they, they haven't done a shipyard survey since 2003 um, so we don't, we don't really know the, the, the ownership and the state of the, of the merchant marine and the ports and the mm. waterways, uh, like we should. Well, this is, uh, yeah, this is distressing. Yeah. CPMC, uh, is the crane company. And I, I think right. they're, the rough estimate is 80% of our port cranes are ZPMC, which is right next to, I think it's Nanjang Shipyard, which is literally right next to Nanjang Shipyard where they make their carriers. And Carrier 3 has been launched, uh, the Fujian. I think they're working on Carrier 4, nuclear-powered. 
but uh, yeah, these these cranes they're they're nothing but endpoints. They're IP endpoints on the on the World Wide Web, and anything that's an IP endpoint, you bet it can be uh, accessed. You bet it can be remotely accessed. That was my world, and that was yeah. I mean, IP enabled, you got it. We're we're in. We're we'll do it. And uh, so it's ridiculous that we're that we're allowing absolutely. This. And we have uh, we have such a shortage of repair yards now that even a lot of the American flagships are going to China to get repaired. Yeah. And yeah. that's question when it's in the shipyard in China getting repaired. Uh, <laughs> they obviously have access to the computer systems on the ships, and these are. Um, um, military dual use uh, ships where the government pays them a subsidy a maritime oh, security oh program msp so that if there is a war that they're available but you have to ask if, if they're alone in the shipyards for a period of time um you know what what's happening with those computer systems oh absolutely that's uh that's nothing but a opportunity for uh um uh, tomfoolery and uh, giving access all kinds of interesting things can happen so uh, do you think marad is in the right place is it getting the right care and attention should it be part of another major department what do you think well it, it was originally department of commerce and that's a, uh, probably a better place for it and it was together with the federal maritime commission and those are the regulators of foreign shipping so maritime administration does u.s ports u.s shipping fmc is kind of the police of foreign so it used to be together along with the u.s maritime service which runs the u.s merchant marine academy the federal service academy and had a uniformed uh officer corps in the past so they kind of let uh the uniform corps die apart from the academies and they they pulled uh, Marad away from the FMC and out of commerce. Um, there was a, a decent reason to do that. It's because the U.S. Coast Guard used to be in Department of Transportation. So the Marad, Marad was, was kind of withering away at the vine. Um, and they said, hey, let's, let's stick it with the Coast Guard. Coast Guard's obviously had a lot of uh, budget issues, even to this day, as we're mm -hmm. struggling with shipbuilding in this country. Um, because of small budgetary issues, they just laid up 15 cutters, which is ridiculous. So they thought if they put these two organizations together, they could, you know, grow stronger together. Unfortunately, then 9-11 happened and uh, Coast Guard was pulled into the Department of Homeland Security, which, um, you know, uh, left Marad kind of this orphan agency at DOT. Um, DOT is not a terrible place for it um obviously you know secretary pete pete is has a huge following and huge amount of influence i think he's got over 3.5 million followers on twitter alone um but none of the uh secretaries and elaine chow pr previously she's from a shipbuilding uh family she's married to um uh, mitch mcconnell and has a lot of influence but unfortunately these um even the cabinet secretaries don't focus on this. I don't think Secretary Pete in any of his, you know, broadcasts or tweets ever mentions the Merchant Marine. Um, they just get focused on the FAA and and roads and and mm -hmm. when they have time, they look at trains. But mm -hmm. there's 
there's no appetite and there's no appetite in the media is a bigger thing like politico for example has an entire um division of people who who just at the dot just reporting on dot matters and although marad's a sister agency and equivalent to the faa that they just haven't written about uh maritime uh any maritime Mm. stories that that i can find ever yeah, yeah, and I, I spent a number of years at the FA doing air traffic control, and I, I just, I always, it always bugged me. It always bugged me. What is it? Why have it just? There's, and we we'll, we'll, we can talk about this more in the next segment here. But it's just, it just, why, why are you? And in, in about the minute we have left, why are young people? And what do we not? What do we got to do to get young people involved in this and interested in this in this career field? Well, I think we need we need some leadership. We need some leaders like uh, Secretary P, like Biden, to explain what the Merchant Marine is. Um, you know, we there's been a fight for seventy uh, years for the World War II uh, veterans to get their uh, veteran status. Mm-hmm. Uh, they mm-hmm. they just got their congressional gold medal two years ago. But our veterans of the subsequent wars, in, including. Um, uh, Dr. Sal Mercagliano, they are a veteran of the first Gulf War. Uh, they haven't gotten any veteran recognition. So ki- kids want to be the, you know, know that they joined something that they're going to be part of the team, right? That they're appreciated by leadership. Uh, they want a uniform. They want some recognition. They want to know they're serving their country. And uh, the Merchant Marine veterans and um, our, our leadership just doesn't doesn't paint that picture for them. Okay. Thank you. Well, that was perfect. Well, thank you uh, so much, John. Uh, that was an excellent segment. And uh, this is Colonel Rhett John, National Security Hour. We'll be right back. Millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long haul effects of the toxic spike protein. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the Wellness Company designed their spike support formula to counteract harmful spike protein from COVID-19 and vaccines so you can feel your best. Go to OutloudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Be a part of a revolutionary new healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interests of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be. Go to OutloudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. In 2008, people could spend an average of 12 seconds on a task without becoming distracted. Five years later, it was only eight seconds. The digital age is narrowing our attention span. Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. And unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus, concentrate longer, and strengthen recall. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top, shoot it down. Thousands of five-star reviews proves it works. Supercharge your brain and see the difference. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. 
HealthyCell.com, code out loud. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is Colonel Rhett John on the National Security Hour, and we're just having an awesome maritime-focused segment uh, with uh, John Conrad, and I want to introduce uh, uh, Sal Mercogliano, and uh, who's also part of the G-Captain family here. So, Sal, welcome, and tell everybody about yourself a little bit, please. Thanks for having me on, Colonel. Uh, Sal McCagliano, I'm a, a associate professor of history over at Campbell University. Uh, I run a YouTube channel, What's Going On With Shipping. Uh, just like John, I'm a former merchant mariner. We're both graduates of the State University of New York uh, Maritime College. Uh, I sailed for the Navy for quite a few years in the Military Sealift Command, worked both afloat and ashore with them. And then I took off on the uh, academic route. And John's been very nice to me to allow me to publish uh, in G-Captain fre- uh, as, as frequently as I can. Not frequently enough for John. Oh, very good. Very good. Well, we have the Maritime Brain Trust right here. So th- these are two. We have to stand, you know, five meters apart at least to make sure one grenade doesn't take us all out here. But definitely with John and Sal, they're national treasures here. So now i got you both on here. Um, so we talked a little bit about what the maritime industry is and the state of affairs. And um, so what do you think? So what are the three to five things we need to do to to just i'm i I don't want (laughs) to talk to john about this before not talk about something called the j act we're not going to talk about that we're going to talk about just what can we do what are the three to five muscle movements to really shake things up and make this a central part of the american self-sustaining economy again so what, I'll open the floor to, to, to either of you to start out. What are the three or five things we can do? I'll give you a couple right off the top of my head that I think we need to do. I think John hit on one earlier, and that's education. Most people don't know much about the Merchant Marine and what shipping does for the country. And I think one of the things we just saw with the supply chain crisis, with the pileup of ships off of L.A. and Long Beach, with Ever Given going sideways in the Suez was just how crucial this is for our economy. And I actually think people have learned that. I think people have seen that. But we've got to hammer it home even more. And we've got to keep talking about that, uh, which means that we need to do more in regards to educating people about that. One of the things that the Maritime Administration's uh, mission is is to promote the Merchant Marine. And I don't think they do it very well. They're limited in their resources, and I think that's that's an element right there. I think second, uh, we need to reform how we do maritime business in this country, uh, both uh, on on the government side and on the corporate side. John could t- speak a lot, much better than I can on the financing and corporate side, but you know, there's a lot of money that's flowing out of our country to invest in shipping that isn't American shipping, because there's a lot of hindrances to invest in U.S. shipping. And we have to change that. We, we have to fundamentally change that right off the bat. We have to make it so that people who want to invest in American shipping can not only invest in it, but can get return on that. At the same time, we need to fire up the Maritime Administration, the government entities there to do the things we need them to do, to publish the reports, to document, to really put out there the information necessary so that people who want to do something regarding the maritime industry have that access 
of information. And then third, I, I think, again, one of the things that I think is, is crucially important is we have to incentivize the hauling of cargo on American ships. You know, you can, you don't build ships just to have ships. You got to build them for a job, and there, there's got to be a mission. There's got to be a job, and and one of the things that's happening right now is there's plenty of cargo out there. It's just it doesn't want to go on American ships, and so we got to do something to incentivize that. Either pro providing tax rebates for for incentive to go ahead and haul on American ships, or make it a little bit more costly to carry it on foreign ships. We are the largest producer of liquefied natural gas since 2016. Mm -hmm. We produce more liquefied natural gas than the next, you know, than any other country, Australia, Qatar. Those are the two other bigger producers. Qatar has its own national fleet. It has its own national shipping line. It's hauling it. Australia, which has no merchant ships at all, has four LNG carriers. That's it. That's all it has just to carry its own LNG. We don't have any. And I think we need to start that process, whether it's the government building ships and leasing them to commercial firms uh, to get it going. That would help our shipbuilding base, our ship repair base, something that John was talking about in the moment before. But I think we need moments like this. Uh, I would love to see, you know, last thing I'll say is I'd, I'd love to see a huge, massive Merchant Marine Act like we had back in 1920 which looks at everything, which looks at international shipping, coastal shipping, shipbuilding, uh, shipping rates, rights for mariners, you know, uh, all of that would be great to have. But right now, I think we got to focus on what we can get done. And I think these areas are things we can get done. Mm, very interesting. And I, I'd never heard that concept mm. of building and leasing. I like that. I like that. John, what what do you what do you think? What are some of the muscle movements, basics to really reinvigorate this area? I, I reiterate everything um, Sal says, but I go back to uh, leadership. We need our cabinet, not just one cabinet. I mean, uh, you, you have NOAA has great uh, capabilities at uh, Commerce. You have Coast Guard at. at DHS, you had Maritime Administration at DOT, you have FMC at Commerce. They're all kind of orphans in their own agencies, and we need an all-of-government approach. There was a, a maritime uh, desk at the National uh, uh, um, uh, National uh, Security Council in, in the White House. Unfortunately, for, for some reason, I won't get into politics, the, the, but the last two Democratic uh, presidents have closed that desk. So um, without that top-down leadership pulling the cabinet members together and say, hey, what what is our uh, competitive advantage here? What is best for not, not just shipping, but for American business? And how can we relieve multiple problems at once, uh, like using these inland waterways, not only to uh, get cars off the road, but it also can reduce emissions. It can also help with nearshoring and bringing factories back from China. And, you know, if you go back to Alexander Hamilton, he was very much against the, the income tax. He wanted the tax to come from um, imports and uh, the Coast Guard was the revenue cutters. L look at these imports. We we want to bring in imports. We want to uh, accept those imports, but I don't think they should have an unfair advantage over American businesses, American ports, and uh, they should share some of the cost of of um, the roads and. 
the ports that are clearly breaking down uh, now. So that's that's one aspect of it. I think we need to do. I, I also think we need you know people like Sal and uh, others in the room. We've we've been through this before in in every war we've come in unprepared luckily right before world war ii there was the merchant marine act in 1936 we got there just in time but in most wars we've come in unprepared and there's this assumption there's been this assumption that there won't be another major war that that is quickly falling apart that assumption now but what's interesting is when um in the past, when we've had these Merchant Marine Acts, uh, there are a lot of rules and laws that are on the books that uh, government programs that have not been funded, um, like the differential subsidies for shipyards, or if you're not a fan of subsidies, there are other uh, port taxes and incentives um, that can be looked at. Uh, this uniform service could be brought back. So I think we need we, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. A lot of these laws are already on the books, but Congress hasn't funded them or they haven't held the Maritime Administration accountable, like this shipyard survey um, that they haven't done in 20 years. Well, uh, shipyards can't get loans if they don't have a government survey done. You know, it's a, it's like mm-hmm. trying to buy a house without getting a surveyor into your house. The, mm-hmm. the bank's going to laugh you out. So, uh, but the Chinese shipyards have surveys, so capital's flowing into there. So I don't think we have to spend a lot more government money, but if we, if we close these loopholes that are going overseas and uh, make business fair here in America and react some of these laws. And and there's an insipid program. The Secretary of the Navy just had an amazing speech at Harvard. I, I encourage everyone to go looking at this all of government approach. Uh, Congressman Waltz um, is doing a phenomenal job going through some of these old laws and looking where they're applicable. And it's not just the Republicans. Uh, Garamendi and Whitman are, are joining in the fight too. So, but we've been so it's been so out of focus for so many years that uh, we we don't really have government experts there isn't a ship captain or a maritime historian anywhere in the pentagon or any of our national security think tanks or anywhere in congress um so you know they need to bring in uh professionals like sal in to to kind of help them walk through because it's been so long we, we can't we can't just run at the problem we we have to we have to teach them what what it used to look like. Well, what now? This is uh, lots of opportunities here. Lots of opportunities to improve. So, what are the major academic centers outside of the Merchant Marine Academy that really generate both crew and those who understand the whole business of ports and operations? And uh, what, what what universities have focus on that? So, well, I mean, you come at it from different areas, John. So if you want to talk about manning the ships, crewing the ships, then you're, you're talking about the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy. You're talking about the state maritime academies in Maine, Massachusetts, New York, Texas, California, and Michigan. You know, those are the places where you get your deck officers and your engineering officers. They're the ones that are going to be out there on the ships because one of the things we've also done is really diminish the ability 
for unlicensed personnel, people to come off the street, get a job on a ship and really work their way up through the ranks, what we call the hawse pipe. And there's not a lot of that opportunity out there anymore. But then what's really funny is John and I both attended the State University of New York Maritime College. And I would argue that we got a great education for how to how to run ships. But we didn't get a great education for running ship businesses and understanding the ship industry in many ways. And that's because that's done, you know, in business schools. It's done in supply chain universities. You know, one of the best supply chain universities, you know, programs in the world is in the University of Arkansas. Hmm. Uh, That's because it's funded by Walmart. And so, you know, you know, it's Walmart that needs shipping more than anybody else. And so they understand that. And, you know, that's the kind of disconnect that exists both in the government and also i would argue in the industry where john and i will deal with people in the shipping industry and they know a lot about shipping and they know everything in the world about it but outside their little narrow parameter they don't and one of the things that john does with g captain and i kind of do with what's going on with shipping is really to give people an opportunity to learn about shipping in in a much bigger environment you know we we love having the professionals follow our our sites but we also love having people who are just you know interested in it and learning about it and so you know i think we saw that with the supply chain crisis how many people sat there and said i i I don't know what this supply chain is but i want to learn about it and how do i get a job in -hmm. it because there's a lot of opportunities out there john what do you think i mean i'll pass it over to john I agree fully. And, you know, the problem is it's not just uh, the logistics and transport. It's it's the engineering of ports and cranes and ships themselves. Um, uh, you know, I was just um, talking to Howard Feynman, who is the chief naval architect of the Navy. There is only one professor in the entire country that teaches a class on uh ship production this is how you bring the ships together and here's the logistics of the ships and how you move it in he's at the who who is that uh university of michigan Um, okay okay you know mit has naval arcs naval academy uh maritime college does coast guard academy but there there isn't a pipeline of engineers and through throughout the the industry um Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we, we have to look at alternative fuels. There's a big push internationally for alternative fuels. Are we going to methane? Are we going to hydrogen? Well, we, we have the best nuclear engineers in the world here in, in, the, in the Navy, but there's no crossover between Navy nuclear and commercial, uh, right? Um, we have some of the best finances in the world, uh, you know, with the Goldman Sachs, the Merrill Lynch. Merrill Lynch actually owns a, a fleet of ships, but there, there's no, they're so focused on the overseas portfolio, they don't really see the internal portfolio, and they don't have that knowledge. So, I mean, a- every single place you look in this um, sector is is really hurting right now, um, John. So, do we have a labor? shortage right now you were i think you were showing me or sent me some of the openings that it was kind of shocking was that john was that you who sent me the openings in the merchant oh yes uh, military sealift command right now which is the navy um uh replenishment they do the Mm -hmm. the uh, the oilers and the ammo ships and sal can probably talk uh i'll hand it over to you sal this is this is your expertise because you worked for uh sealift Yeah, I mean, there are shortages. There are a lot of shortages. As a matter of fact, this is an inherent issue across the the world, not just with the United States, but almost with every shipping company right now in getting merchant mariners. You got to remember during during COVID, 
there was a big disruption. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. foreign merchant mariners will sail for four to six, sometimes eight months at a, you know, at a time and get off. But during COVID, they couldn't get off because you could not, re you know, fly out of other countries. You basically had to mm -hmm. return back to your home country. And so you actually had merchant mariners that were out for over a year in some cases. And unfortunately, one of the problems we're seeing is a lot of this new generation doesn't want to go to sea because they're disconnected. Their phones don't work when they're out at sea, <laughs> you know, and, and so they're they're completely cut off. And and this is creating a big problem. Now, ships are countering this with putting Starlink and other methods on there. But the military sea lift command is a crucial one. I'll give you an example because because John makes a great point here on this one. MSC, the military sea lift command. Crews and mans, 20% 20, 20 of the U.S. Navy, of the 300 ships in the U.S. Navy, one out of five have a merchant mariner crew on board. These are all the ships that provide the logistics, the refueling, the ammunition, mm -hmm. the toilet mm -hmm. paper. Everything mm -hmm. you need is on a civilian manned ship. And that right now is done by 5,600 merchant mariners. They do mm -hmm. that. And mm -hmm. the problem right now is that the military sea lift command is literally throwing money. And I mean, throwing money at them to sign on to renew and they can't get them on. And the reason for that is very simple. It's because MSC is only authorized to have 1.2 mariners for every billet. So in other words, to, for every billet, all they have is one person and then, you know, five billets share another person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and that's impossible to stay on. So you don't have the relief to come on. And what we're doing is burning out people. And that mm -hmm. diminishes the ability of the U.S. Navy to perform their mission. Just like farmers grow food, just like truckers move our products, this is part of a self-sustaining economy. And we learned hard lessons during the uh virus and the, the world uh, uh, disruption here. So we're, uh, we're going to come back with one more segment with John and Sal and focusing on uh, the maritime industry. Very important. We got to get more involved. We got to wake up America on this topic. AmericaOutloud.news is beaten to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, troubled, misled, joyful, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Cofix RX nasal solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. The Natural Colon Cleanse. It's the ultimate digestive tune-up with Oxy Powder. It's crafted to alleviate the discomfort of gas, bloating, and occasional constipation. There's a reason why Oxy Powder is our number one seller. It works. 
Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. All right, welcome back, everybody. Uh, this is Colonel Rhett John, the National Security Hour, and we're having an absolutely awesome session uh, focused on maritime affairs. And this is with John uh, Conrad and uh, and uh, Dr. Sal Mercogliano. Uh, uh, John runs GCAPT and Sal is also a contributor there. So uh, let's talk about um, as we as we educate America and awaken America, maybe a, a couple of different areas, investment capital, things that encourage the flow of capital capital always pivots toward growth that's what they want it's a it's like an un- unstoppable force it pivots toward t- toward growth and then uh, the cyber aspect and we got this uh, uh, at the australian port so let's first talk about investment capital and why isn't money flowing into this area so uh, john and sal what do you think well there, there are a number of reasons um but there's been no country that's had a successful merchant marine uh, that hasn't uh, subsidized in some way or another uh, the steel, the production, the the seafarer training. And we really removed uh, all of those uh, subsidies. Now, there are a lot of ways to do it. Germany was number one in finance for many years because they allowed people to invest in individual ships in their IRA and have that uh, be tax-free later on. So that's how... Uh, they did it. Um, the Koreans did more direct subsidies into their shipyards to become a number one. Um, China's taken a, a different approach. Uh, we, we've gone to what's called the coded capital. You know, um, we still build in America. If you go to New York City, the, the skyline's completely different than it was 10 or 20 years ago. And that's because we've the banks have figured out how to co- code this capital. They take one uh, building and they uh, divided it up. They put it offshore. They make it into different tranches of bonds and stocks and, and divvy that out to the different players from pension funds to, to other. Well, if you do that enough, um, uh, you, you can really hide some of those uh, capital flows. And that's been interesting to China because uh, they don't want their mark. They don't want to tell everyone the amount of subsidies that go into mm-hmm. uh, these shippings, and they want some control of the shipping. So, um, you know, the, the capital markets have uh, gravitated towards uh, towards there because China makes it very easy. They they match a lot of the payments. They they make the regulatory uh, really small. We're here in the United States. We have these old school like Title 11 subsidies that have a list of government restrictions, paperwork you have to fill out, uh, hoops you have to jump through, arcane regulations um, that make even even if you those programs are fully funded and they're not, the bankers don't want to go through all that hassle. That's one. Two, these are fixed assets. They're big assets. They're, they're steel and saltwater that are rusting. Um, their waterfront real estate um, shipyards in places like uh, Norfolk, and they, you know, they have a very high failure rate because uh, these overseas firms have kind of flooded the market, and those overseas firms get the subsidies. So mm-hmm. a lot of shipyards and and um, shipping lines in the United States have failed. Well, if 
a bank isn't going to um, loan you money if there aren't the government reports, like I talked about before. There, there aren't the government reports to say, hey, this is the state of the competition and what you're purchasing in the environment because Merit hasn't issued those reports. And they're not going to give money to a um, risky asset. Right, mm-hmm. uh, the largest uh, shipping company entity in the United States is Hyundai Heavy Industries. Uh, its mm-hmm. entire market cap is eight billion. It's a defense contractor. They make the aircraft carriers, the destroyers, the nuclear submarines. Well, that sounds like a lot to the uninitiated. But Boeing has an eighty mil billion dollar market cap. Lockheed mm-hmm. Martin is over a hundred billion. Uh, so what does that mean? It means when HII goes to the credit market, they have to go to the junk bond market. And that's our most successful. It, it ranges down to VT Halter, which is building our icebreaker. They put hundreds of millions into investment in the shipyard. They um, have billions in government contracts and they have priceless waterfront real estate. And they just sold off the entire shipyard for $16 million. So, um, and, and that's another problem. These banks want big, uh, audacious uh, programs. They want large funds that um, can distribute their money and give them that sense of security where they're in it with a lot of other bankers. Um, when you're talking trillions of dollars being invested in Wall Street, even if we uh, all those regulations that made it difficult with the Title 11 and the hoops to jump, even if we got rid of that, and even if the government helps subsidize and reduce risk, a $16 million investment isn't very much for the Goldman Sachs. Which brings us to the venture capital world, which is interesting. They will fund smart and innovative ideas that are smaller. Um, but they aren't they they consider shipping dirty they don't mm-hmm. want mm-hmm. um yes. they they put a lot of money into uh environmental causes if you have a new sonar buoy that's going to count the whales or or uh, organic oyster farming or uh seaweed <laughs> farming it's it's funny but uh and some of the offshore wind now is getting some of that venture capital money but the world runs off of container ships and tankers and bulkers old rusting thing and no no founders fund or your andrician horowitz really wants their name plastered on the side of an oil tanker which could run into a rock right uh, mm-hmm. they just and it's not just shipping it's um it's hard you know our best and our brightest used to go into naval architecture and and shipping and mining and nuclear energy and now mm-hmm. our best and our brightest go into uh either silicon valley or, or hollywood so there mm-hmm. isn't that that pull it's kind of considered a, a, a dirty industry especially in the, the tankers connection with with uh the oil companies and um that that makes it you know the the VCs are just just aren't interested in putting there 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 are sexy opportunities out there that they'd rather uh, jump into, right? Yeah, yeah. This is this is uh, in many ways. I hate to say this, it's looked down upon. And you mentioned dirty, and you know who wants to work in a in a in a rough where you're out in the sun, where you're in the cold. And uh, I'd rather work in an office and you take a hundred young people. What do you want to do? And, you know, 50 of them say, well, I want to write environmental impact statements. Uh, I go, well, that's, that's, that's wonderful. We're, that's one of you. 
you know, and, oh, I want to make sure straws don't go up the nose of sea turtles. And I go, that's, that's, that's one of you too. What are the other 98 going to do? Yeah. Nobody wants to do this. It's like, and I, and I hate to say it, there is this perception it's dirty. It's beneath us. And I don't, I don't like that. That's not, that's not a nation collapses when that uh, attitude. Sal, what do you think? I, I think, you know, John hits uh, key points there, you know, and if you look at where shipping is, if you look at Maersk Lines, for example, Maersk Lines, one of the biggest container liners in the world, mm -hmm. headquartered in Denmark, Maersk makes up about 10 to 12% of Denmark's GDP. I, I mean, so mm -hmm. obviously shipping is priority one, you know, Maersk is too big to fail. It never will fail in Denmark. It will always have that. And if you look where shipping is today, you see that with a lot of these shipping firms. In the U.S., it was always a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a percent. Mm -hmm. So it never got a lot of attention when it came down to that. And I think that's a really key point. To go back to what John was talking about with the finance side, if you look at China, so one of the stats you'll hear thrown out all the time, I hear it all the time, is that to build a ship in the United States is four to five times as expensive as it is to build a ship overseas. But if you look at China, which is the bellwether for all of this, China is basically the way they're financing and building their ships is a company and a company is a person can start a shipping firm. They go to the government, they get the land for free. They go and they get money thrown at them from the government with almost no interest at all. Labor is cheap as anything because of the labor laws that are there. The steel is, is cheap because, again, it's subsidized heavily. So all the big costly items to build a ship, the land, the people, the, the resources and the material, are a fraction of the cost of what it costs to build here in the United States. And you'll hear people sit there and say, well, we shouldn't build it because it's going to be five to six times as expensive. But what this is doing right now is that China, which had built maybe 10% of the world's ships at as far back as 2000, just 23 years ago, is now building 46% of all the world's ships. Mm -hmm. And they are driving the cost of ships so that Japan and South Korea, which build the other 50% of ships, has to chase after, have, has to chase after China. So mm -hmm. they depress their costs and they have to get the government to come in to subsidize mm -hmm. or come up with new ways to do it. And, and the fear here is that we go from being, you know, three nations building 94% of the world's ships. We're going to go down to two, China and Korea, and then it's going to come down to a war between China and Korea in, in, in doing this. And China wants to become the monopoly. They, they mm -hmm. want to be able to control this. And, and again, if we don't, change things if we don't you know incentivize and do things to offset those higher costs we're going to be left in the dust china's got the second largest navy in the world the second largest merchant marine in the world we've got the first largest navy in the world but we got the 21st largest merchant marine and so you know which one's the better proponent of sea power yeah this is a this is bad. And I thought I thought China was over 300 combat ships, not including MSC and NDRF ships. I thought China was over 300. We're struggling. It depends how you, me depends how you measure ships nowadays yeah. in navies. Well, I had a good one of a very good friend of mine ran the uh, five-year shipbuilding plan in Navy N9. And every time I'd come down or call him or say, let's go down for a cup of coffee. I mean, it was just, I mean, it was, uh, it was a living hell for him trying to keep that spreadsheet. I mean, constantly changing everybody, constantly noodling with it, but that's, that's a naval issue, not a maritime issue. And, uh, um, and, and, uh, one of the components, and this is kind of one of my areas, uh, it is my area in many ways, uh, uh, Sal, you know, uh, uh, during the break, you mentioned the, uh, there's this, uh, I think I mentioned on LinkedIn today was, uh, 
the attack on a uh, the Australian yards uh, and a lot of problems in China with, or excuse me, in Australia with Ch- China's uh, adventurism. But what what exactly happened, and what is it looking like with that cyber attack? Yeah, so it was uh, Australian ports were hit with a cyber attack, and and specifically it was DP World, which is Dubai Port World. So this is a UAE company that owns forty percent of all the terminals in Australia. Again, this is the norm. You know, foreign investors come in. You know, U.S. ports are owned. Uh, you know, the biggest owner of U.S. ports right now is actually the Can- uh, Canadian Retirement Fund. Believe it or not, they own the, the vast bulk of of USA ports. Uh, that, which is a company name, USA Ports is a company name, but that it's one of the largest port operators in the U.S. But in the case of DP World, they got hit by a, uh, a cyber attack. And, you know, n- Australia, on top of things, actually has a minister of cybersecurity. I learned this today. I had no idea. <laughs> minister of cybersecurity. It had been gapped for 18 months, but they filled it here. And working with uh, DP World and a few other agencies, they were able to get it back up. But what this did was lock in place 50,000 containers in and around Australia. It shut the ports down for three days because moving containers on and off ships is not something you do with paper and pad. I mean, this is all computerized. Mm -hmm. It's all digital. And you have to be able to move containers. I mean, when you shut down the, 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 a cyber attack shuts down the network for a ship. And I'm saying these have to be open networks. You have to be able to get in and out of the system. It's not just the carrier, but it's the shippers. It's the people whose containers they want to track. And the problem you have is you, you can't take the containers off the ship because you don't know what containers to take off. You can't put them in the, yard because you'll lose them because you don't know where they're going. You can't bring trucks and rail in because you don't know what's coming in, what's going out. And what it causes is a domino effect down the entire supply chain. Now, fortunately, they were able to clear the system, get it back up and running. And I think they moved about 5,000 containers today. But we've seen this happen. 2017, Maersk got hit by the Napietia virus. This is a virus they got infected with because one of their ships pulled into Ukraine or Russia. One of the two countries flew that virus at each other, and Maersk was an accidental target. They actually <laughs> uploaded that virus into their ships, and it shut every ship, every server down in June of 2017, except for one server that happened to be offline because of a blackout in Lagos, Nigeria. And they were able to rebuild their network based on that one server that happened to be in Nigeria. Uh, It cost Maersk $10 billion to to lose that week of business that they lost. And understand that would have been absolutely catastrophic if that happened in 2021 2022 when every ship in the world that could carry a container was carrying a container wow wow and i i did not know that aspect usually when we're in international cyber matters and i i ran the five eyes information sharing for department of defense that means england uk the five english-speaking countries i ran that and had a lot of interaction with nato uh usually lagos nigeria was a source of bad bad (laughs) cyber activity so so well nigeria saved us on this one (laughs) fortunately their infrastructure isn't great so that's the one thing that saved us is, is is that yeah and that's a that's a key point too uh you know one one thing that's 
that's really changing is this this infrastructure. We're seeing uh, refineries uh, get get attacked. We saw the Colonial Pipeline cyber mm-hmm. attack a few mm-hmm. years ago, um, yeah. and both cyber and physical. You look at the uh, Baltic Connector um, LNG pipeline, which just attacked. The Nord Stream was just attacked mm-hmm. in there. Mm-hmm. Um, armies are having a difficulty. Um, uh, protecting these these landside assets and as you've seen in ukraine they're more susceptible to, to drones and so forth the advantage of and i know there are naval drones in the black sea but they have very um uh, limited limited range the advantage of the ocean is that it's wide open and it's easier to protect ships from cyber because you can have one point of control up to the satellite. There aren't people coming in with USB drives and such. Mm-hmm. So as as these problems manifest, uh, shoreside with especially pipelines, refineries, to a lesser extent ports, um, the, the military is going to want to move a lot of this material onto the waterways, which can be protected. But if we don't have the waterways dredged, uh, right, mm-hmm. right now there's a water shortage in the Mississippi and the mm-hmm. Panama Canal. Mm-hmm. If we're having labor disputes like the St. Lawrence Seaway was just closed down because these guys have been underpaid for so long. If we don't have American ships or those American ships are sent to repair in Chinese yards where they can be infected by uh, viruses, if we don't have that core infrastructure here, there is no alternative uh, to that pipeline when it gets shut down, and you can't get fuel up to the northeast uh, to to our to our military bases, let alone uh, you know uh, heating fuel to keep our families warm. Oh, very good. Well, that's we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up here. We're gonna have to do this again because I, I find this 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 whole topic area fascinating. Uh, we need to take it from the periphery and make it central. And and I've just I've been baffled over the years by this this topic area. Uh, John, uh, just uh, how do people get to you, and what's your kind of your social links there? How do how do they get to you? G Captain, sure, uh, uh, G Captain's uh, the main site, gcaptain.com. Um, and I'm uh, John Conrad, spelled with a K, on Twitter and uh, LinkedIn. That's great. Sal, what about you? How do people get to you and uh, your, your, your social media? Yeah, I'm on uh, Twitter. It's at Mercogliano S, which is a tough one to spell. I know. I apologize. But the probably the best way is over on YouTube at what's going on with shipping. Okay, that is just awesome. And I want to just drive this more and more. This is great. So, uh, John and Sal, thank you so much. Uh, this is an absolutely awesome segment. Uh, and I, I, I am honored and humbled you would allow, you would talk to an army colonel about these topic areas. So thank you so much. I'm a we joint need, guy. We need more support for the army and the air force because the, the ships transfer goods for all the services, right? Yeah. So we, we appreciate you having us. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the army used to have a rich maritime history, and it, boof, God, we got it. We got to get this. Is this is just a nation is not a nation without borders, without food production, uh, without a number of things. And if you don't, uh, if you don't, uh, can't carry cargo overseas, you're not a nation. We got to get back to that, John and Sal. Thank you so much. An honor to have you on this show, and thank you, everyone. This is Colonel Rhett John, Colonel Rhett John, on the National Security Hour. Thank you.